Welcome to episode 44 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest insight scoop on everything 5G and 6G sometimes. We cover six topics in about 15 minutes and it's brought to you by more insights and strategy. I'm Will Townsend. I'm uh, logging in again from uh, the Florida Keys. That's my old man of the sea beard. And uh, this week, my fellow analyst, Angel Sag, joins me as well, as he always does. So let's get started. My first topic this week, there was news that China plans to accelerate its R&D effort to focus on 6G over the next five years. So 2021 through 2526. Is this a wise move? You know, I don't think it is. And I think it may be politically motivated, just, you know, given the obvious uh, drama that's been occurring between the U.S. government and companies like, like Huawei. But, you know, 5G, we're still in that journey, and um, we, we still haven't seen, you know, ubiquity with operators getting to standalone yet. And then, you know, you and I have talked about on prior, you know, podcasts, another evolution is, you know, really uh, realizing the potential of network slicing, and then all of that to drive discrete services. Because when we look at 4G, uh, the operators didn't do a great job, you know, focusing on discrete service delivery. It was more about access when the, the unlimited plan shoe drop that T-Mobile dropped in the U.S. as an example with uh, Verizon and AT&T following suit. So, you know, from my perspective, this could really, you know, water down, you know, China's effort in really getting 5G, you know, deployed out to its fullest potential. And plus, this is all going to be proof of concept stuff because, you know, 3GPP isn't, you know, necessarily, you know, focused on this. So I'd love to get your thoughts as well. Yeah, I think it's definitely a thing that's aspirational. Mm -hmm. um, I think this might be influenced by, like what you said, uh, some of the restrictions around 5G technologies. Um, because if you look at a lot of the legislation uh, and a lot of the restrictions, it's very explicit around 5G. Mm -hmm. So 6G would technically not be applicable. Uh, I mean, obviously it could be rewritten, yeah. but the, I think the idea is that once 6G rolls around, um, there will be a different political climate and mm -hmm. potentially and hopefully a better political climate for these companies to compete in. Mm -hmm. And if you look at what's going on right now, you, you already heard and saw Huawei talking about 6G yeah. uh, and other vendors that, and they're generally the ones that feel like they're either they've missed the 5G train or they feel like they're being excluded. So mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's kind of way too early, um, but at the same time, it's, it's potentially looking for another opportunity to move forward in, in a different way compared yeah. to what's going on right now. But mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's mostly talk. I don't really see there being anything meaningful coming out of this anytime soon. I mean, mm -hmm. you could pour a ton of money into 6G research right now, but you wouldn't really get anywhere. So yeah. um, I think 5G needs to mature for us to even have an idea of what 6G will have. And that's why okay. I think you were right to say that it's too early and there's much more to come. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, you, you mentioned Huawei. So um, they actually, you know, made an announcement that, you know, they, they recently um, kicked off an initiative to license their intellectual property tied to 5G, right? And I think I read over 3,000 patents. So 
Huawei has contributed significantly to 5G, but again, you know, because of the entity listing and that sort of thing, they've um, they've really been shut out of a lot of that. So, yeah, so I think, you know, and this is the Chinese government that's, you know, sort of really driving this. And it's sort of in the name of digitizing China, but certainly, you know, 5G is going to accomplish that as well. So we will definitely keep our eyes and ears open and report back on future podcasts. But let's move to your first topic this week. You want to talk about Lockheed Martin and Omnispace partnering together to deliver 5G in space. You know, I, I remember Nokia late last year talking about, you know, 5G on the moon, but um, I wasn't aware of this. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. So we've actually talked about Omnispace before. Uh, they just got $60 million uh, to help finance their plans around a satellite hybrid global 5G network, which we covered in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now Omnispace has partnered with Lockheed Martin uh, to announce a non-terrestrial 5G network that utilizes um, the ability to take Omnispace's technologies and to uh, bring them to space, not mm-hmm. just for Earth. Yeah. And um, Lockheed Martin is kind of, I think, feel like this is one of them, them kind of being, you know, the U.S. government's uh contractor of choice for mm-hmm. a lot of things yeah. um, and they are kind of latching on to the thing we'd also mentioned in the podcast that the um the air force had been looking for you know, different vendors to give them quotes mm-hmm. and you know different rfqs rfis all those kinds of things to um bid for a 5g network in space so Obviously, the 3GPP um, network and standard can support this theoretically, um, but I have a feeling there will probably have to be some kind of modifications to the 5G network for it to work in space. Mm -hmm. Um, It'll probably require entirely new chipsets that are rad hardened um, and will be able to operate in space. But I have a feeling that it it will significantly improve the reliability and throughput of communications in space, because I think it's been quite a while since they've been updated. Well, I think, you know, you mentioned, you know, the need for hardening, you know, those, those, uh, those chipsets and those sorts of things for the confines of space, right. You know, like extreme temperatures and, you know, lack of gravity and that sort of thing. Um, There could be some lessons learned with that, that, that are deployed on, you know, stuff that that's developed here, I would think too. Right. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, if you're doing stuff like um, mining uranium or um, or cleaning up some kind of toxic sites, um, you'll definitely want to have more rad hardened um, mill spec, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I know for a fact that some rad hardened hardware that was intended for space has also been used on Earth for Mm -hmm. extreme conditions. Yeah. Interesting. We'll keep our eyes and and ears open on that one as well. Let's move to my second topic this week. And T-Mobile announced that they're opening a new lab. They're calling it their 5G Open Innovation Lab. And um, I've spent time in Seattle at their Customer Experience Center, um, which was really sort of serving as their showcase for proof of concept. You know, know, it was about a year ago. I spent time there before the COVID travel lockdowns. And um, saw several different, you know, demos involving drone delivery and, and that sort of thing. So this is really a step in the right di- direction for T-Mobile, from my perspective. Um, again, as they um, integrate the Sprint um, assets, you know, not only Spectrum, 
but but also you know the executive team and you know Michigan Dinnigan and and John Saw. Um, this is going to allow them to really birth, from my perspective, um, you know, practical use cases, and that's going to drive the service delivery. And that's really, from my perspective, how operators like T-Mobile um, are going to get the job done. Um, Verizon has had, you know, their one proof of concept in, you know, the uh, the alley, which is in Chelsea. It's in it's a borough of New York. I spent time there as well. Um, they recently announced that they're expanding um, those proof of concept labs. I think they're up to about six now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and AT&T, you know, I've spent a lot of time with AT&T. Um, they have, you know, obviously, with, with uh, their, their AT&T labs effort, they have a significant footprint in, in driving R&D, and they're very focused on, you know, verticals as well within healthcare, um, retail, um, education, and I actually, you know, uh, before the Foundry program was sort of folded into the, the broader labs effort, mm-hmm. um, I spent time in places like Dallas where they have an I, that's their IoT sort of proof of concept. Palo Alto was doing quantum um, computing and quantum networking. And then I spent time in Israel a year and a half or so ago um, and, and spent time with them. And um, obviously, you know, based on the Israeli DNA, a lot of things around security and that sort of thing. So. Um, I give AT&T the edge. They've had the most mature lab um, effort. And so, but I think, again, this is, uh, this is good news to, to, to see T-Mobile doing this um, because I really think it's going to allow them to continue uh, pushing their momentum against the business service um, opportunity. So any, any thoughts there on, from your perspective? No, I, I think it just shows the maturity of T-Mobile's business efforts and that they realize that they have to have this kind of lab infrastructure to encourage new partners to explore the capabilities of their 5G network, especially considering that they're going to be the ones that have the best coverage for the foreseeable future. And coverage is the most important thing when it comes to um, a lot of these business use cases. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously reliability is a huge thing as well. But if you don't have coverage, you don't really have um, a use case. So. Yeah. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see what, how they approach this moving forward and long-term. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that you and I get an opportunity, like when, you know, travel starts lifting, that we can actually get out to this lab and, and spend some time with the T-Mobile team. So l- l- let's move to your second topic this week. And I, and I made a reference to, uh, to this in my opening around, you know, 5G and standalone. It, it seems like AT&T and Verizon's timelines are shifting out, right? Yeah, so... I actually did my 5G report um, that released last week, part two. Mm-hmm. And now we're fully released with both parts. And one of my predictions was that we will see a lot of standalone 5G networks launching this year. And that was based on the expectation, the public uh, information that both Verizon and AT&T were planning to have their 5G standalone networks rolled out this year. Mm-hmm. And those... Um, timelines have shifted and neither company will fully commit to a complete rollout of a standalone core 5G network this year. I have a theory. I have a theory there, but go on. <laughs> um, and, and you know, I listened to both Verizon and AT&T's um, conversations around it and read some, some coverage. And yeah. it seemed like AT&T was trying to say that devices were not ready and that's why and they, silicon and silicon i recall as well yeah right? and it's like i the devices exist 
Um, they've existed since the beginning of the year. Um, and there were some fair criticisms about, you know, what standalone benefits could be gained last year. But this year with devices being fully compliant, um, it's kind of a, a, a moot point. Um, so if you're not rolling out this year, I'm not really sure what argument you have anymore. Yeah. But that said, um, I'm hoping that it, it, it's just a small, um, you know, Q1 or Q2 22 thing. Yeah. But the reality is I, I just don't, because I have such so much invested uh, in the growth of 5G beyond smartphones mm -hmm. and how dependent that is on standalone networks, yeah. I worry about the growth of 5G if operators do not roll out standalone fast enough. Yeah, and just for our listeners and viewers that maybe aren't you know, technical, standalone marries 5G core with 5G RAN and it really delivers on the true promise of 5G. Um, I have a theory, you know, why AT&T and Verizon are, are, you know, putting up, you know, maybe not pausing it, but the re one of the, you know, rationales for it being delayed could be around their, their C-band auction assets and maybe a reprioritization for them to get, get you know, that, that upper mid-band um, deployed ahead of... Um, Standalone. I don't know. It's just it's 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 a possibility from well, my perspective. What's interesting is um, one of the Verizon uh, EVPs, Ronan Duan, basically said that they're prioritizing Z band in 2021. Um, so that's kind of go. a uh, that's kind of like a I don't know. To me, it looks like they're trying to say that they're prioritizing rolling out a $45 billion asset over having standalone. But I, yeah, I just don't see how any application for business will work without standalone. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. From, especially from a latency perspective. I mean, a lot of the, you know, the enterprise um, applications are going to be very, you know, real time, high resolution video intensive. So, but we'll, we'll keep, uh, we'll keep our eyes and ears open here as well, but let's move to my third topic this week. And there was an announcement between Samsung Networks and uh, Docomo in Japan around um, OpenRAN. And so Docomo um, will be leveraging um, Samsung's OpenRAN portfolio. And, um, and again, you know, traditionally Samsung has not been strong in RAN, um, but as, a, as they've uh, branched out of their core you know, South Korean market, um, and with a lot of help from Verizon, if you recall, you know, they've been a part of, you know, Verizon's fixed wireless access deployment as well as our mobile deployment. Um, this really, you know, provides them, I believe, some more momentum to really kind of grow their, their RAN business. And, you know, Open RAN's a serious consideration. It's got, you know, very um, disruptive capabilities from a CapEx perspective, especially when, you know, operators are having to spend billions of dollars, you know, to roll out Spectrum. So I think this is this is this is good for Samsung. It's going to put some you know momentum as they continue to build that out, um, and you know and it, there, it's no secret Nokia has also been a very strong proponent of Open RAN. Um, that I think with their new CEO Pekka Lundgaard, um, they're they're putting everything on you know kind of the table um, to drive revenue, right, and to kind of get out of this like kind of this ebb and flow of you know financial performance that they've had you know over the years now. You know, when you look at the other two, you know, big incumbents and, and Huawei and Ericsson, they're not quite as bullish on Open RAN. I think they they have more to protect 
um, yeah. from, from, a, from a revenue and a profitability standpoint there. But, um, but eventually all, all, of these op, you know, all of these infrastructure providers are gonna have to provide a solution because it's just, it's gonna be table stakes. So yep. what are your thoughts? I, I think it's absolutely going to be one of those things where everybody will have to have some form of open RAN available because you know, I don't see, for example, I don't see Verizon rolling out its 5G network with the mid band in any other way, in yeah. a way that would be possible for them financially. Uh, and I think that's going to be the application that a lot of countries and operators use as they roll out their networks. I have a very strong feeling to see the same thing happening in India. Yeah. Um, and I just think cost is a factor, especially when spectrum is expensive. Mm -hmm. So, and if density has to increase, which now we're starting to hear some companies are, are acknowledging, um, you're gonna need more base stations. So yeah. quantity is gonna drive up costs and you wanna find a way to reduce that cost. And OpenRAN is kind of the, the solution we have today. So yeah. I definitely think it's something that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's OpenRAN is very cost optimized, not performance optimized, but that doesn't mean that as it, grows legs and you've got more, you know, entrants and new entrants that are entering the RAN space that there isn't going to be a couple of smart startups or, you know, even, even a Samsung, you know, or a Nokia that, that figures out how to sort of balance that cost optimization with, with performance, because that's sort of the story that I hear when I talk to, to Huawei and, and Ericsson, it's like, yeah, you know, it's from a, you know, from a cost perspective, it's attractive, but it's not necessarily performance optimized. And for, you know, critical, you know, workloads and for, you know, um, SLAs and, and that sort of thing, commitments to, uh, to enterprise customers, that becomes really important. So, but uh, it's still coalescing and, you know, we'll keep our eyes on it and report it back as things mature and develop. But let's move to your third and final topic this week. And you want to talk about silicon. Yeah, so kind of following on your topic, Samsung also announced a partnership with Marvell, uh, mm -hmm. and Marvell is actually partnering with Samsung to build SOCs for Samsung's um, massive MIMO capabilities, mm -hmm. so that they can build these into their their RAN products. Yeah. Um, and these new SOCs will support both 4G and 5G simultaneously, and can save up to seventy percent in chipset power consumption. Wow. Uh, so that's a pretty big, Huge. pretty big opportunity. Um, and it will be uh, targeted for market introduction to tier one operators in Q2 of this year. So okay. uh, that's coming very quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, Marvell is kind of one of the primary providers of silicon in the industry. And this is kind of, this kind of sounds like a semi-custom uh, application for Samsung's massive MIMO and other advanced radio technologies. Mm -hmm. So this kind of might be one of those opportunities where potentially an open RAN solution could be faster and more power efficient. Yeah. And, um, but also could just be a, you know, a standard RAN implementation. Um, but ultimately power is such a big, big consideration as well as performance. Um, it makes sense that Samsung would partner with Marvell, which is interesting because Samsung is also a fab, um, but I believe Marvell is technically currently using TSMC, 
Um, but there's a possibility that they could move to Samsung where they are already dual sourcing. So it's just interesting to see, a, you know, how a Samsung is moving around and, and working with different companies to partner to, to get the best solution. Yeah, I'm glad you hit on the PowerPoint um, because operators struggle with CapEx and OpEx, right? And um, that's huge. 70% power savings is huge for the operator. So yeah, I, I got to imagine this is going to be, you know, a platform that's, you know, very, very well embraced by the industry. Definitely. And I think yeah. this will probably be in Samsung products primarily um, because it sounds like they want to develop this just for their own solutions. Mm-hmm. But Marvell has a lot of capabilities and I have a feeling that others may follow Samsung's lead in this and develop their own custom chips with Marvell as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you want to talk about Intel as well. And, you know, Pat Gelsinger, who was the former CEO of VMware, is now at, at Intel. And yes. he's actually a former Intel employee, a former Intel engineer. And there was some big news this week around a fab, right? Or a couple yeah, of Yeah, so, so what, what the news was, was actually a multitude of announcements. Yeah. But the big one was that Intel is spinning out its silicon fabs into its own PNL. So it's still within the company. It's not a full spin out but it's being spun into a separate entity that is um, being called its own division of the company. Um, I'm I'm blanking on the name, which is awful, but it's uh, I think it's Intel foundry is what it is. Um, But basically what they're doing is they're, they're turning all their foundry businesses into an open foundry that anyone can utilize. And they're going to be expanding fab capacity in the U S and in Europe. Um, which is a big deal because that helps with the chip supply issues and security issues a lot of governments are having. And they are going to open their capabilities, not just to x86 and Intel, but to ARM and to pretty much any, and even RISC-V. So any, any kind of chip architecture will theoretically work on their, on their foundry now. And that's a huge change from the way things were before and will significantly improve fab capacity in addition to what TSMC is expanding in Arizona, mm-hmm. Intel is also spending $20 billion to expand its fab capacity in Arizona. So mm-hmm. that's the big news. Uh, Intel stock popped 7% on the day when it happened. Yeah. Um, I haven't looked the day after, but the reality is there's a lot of excitement around the announcement because Intel has been struggling in the last few years. Yeah. And this kind of signifies Intel taking things more seriously and, um, being more ambitious in this space and understanding that um, being a vertical player may not necessarily work anymore and that they need to find ways to scale their fab business so that they don't always focus on making chips for the sake of making chips, but making the best chips. Mm -hmm. And and that's really what I think um, is something that we'll probably start to see more of um, pretty soon because there, there might be some chip announcements coming down the pipeline soon. Yeah, yeah, I think there are just around the corner. We may actually be reporting on some of those in our next podcast. Well, you know, it's um, you know, it's great to see you know Pat, you know, really shaking things up there at Intel. I think um, they needed to do that because, to your point, you know, they've sort of you know stalled you know over the last couple of years, and they've had kind of a revolving door of you know of upper management. And so, yeah, uh, and it's yeah. good that they brought him back because he was, you know, when he was CTO, he was kind of the you know, heir apparent. And the fact that he didn't get the job, um, I think was one of the reasons why I went to VMware. So um, I think him coming back has really re-energized the company 
and um, given them new, new life. I agree. Well, hey, buddy, another great podcast this week. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide us insight on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Will Town Tech and I'm at Anshel Saad. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week.